Hello, and welcome to Never a Dull Moment, a talk show and podcast for angels and founders. Ziad of Boston Harbor Angels has fun with co-hosts and guests as they discuss and debate all topics from the world of startups and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the conversation. Now, here they are. Enjoy the show. All right, so you already split this show into two. Thank you already. <laughs> You're, uh, we're doing two episodes instead of one because we have a lot to talk about. And um, branding, that's the topic of the day. Branding for success, branding for buyout. Let's talk about it. So let's, um, what is branding? Help me out here. Why do I need to brand? Why do I need to spend money on branding? I'm a, I'm a startup. I have a limited budget. I have investor funding. And I have to program my app, spend money on my science research. And you're telling me I need to allocate money for branding. A lot of good reasons for it. But uh, as the marketing guy side of this, wearing the marketing hat, um, have been through this many times. And I will tell you, as you build categories, especially in an emerging startup or emerging growth company, it comes down to how fast you can separate and differentiate from the path, from the pack. And many times the companies or your competitors are focused so much on the product and the technology that they don't focus on building the brand. The brand is a definite point of differentiation and acceleration in terms of owning the narrative for the marketplace. I'd build on that too, or add to that, that if you are a startup or emerging brand, which is what I think you said, Ziad, is that there's a couple different ways to build it. If you know you have a really great product, service, or technology, you might be building the brand to last three to five years, so you're not spending money twice and you're building a kind of broad framework. Um, Wasabi is a fantastic example. And then other brands that are kind of maturing a technology and maybe maybe quite haven't figured out exactly where the product market fit is, you have to build a much more agile brand and kind of tack or pivot as you grow it. So there, there are a number of different ways to approach it. How much, how much money does it take to build a brand? You're not going to like this question, but can you throw a number? You do it. Well, you do it again. You do it in phases, uh, early stage. So um, I was the CMO at, at Wasabi and in Wasabi, uh, you know, it, the brand part of it was a disproportionate part of the original spend. Um, it was, I'll say it was low seven figures, which is seems to be a lot of money for an early stage startup. But at the same time, you know, if you if you use the money wisely in terms of paid media in co combination with earned media, meaning to establish that thought leadership around that category you're creating, the one-two punch gives you that significant uptick versus any competition that are trying to get into the market. And on the flip yeah. side of that, if you want to spend low, no money, I think for a few hundred dollars, you can create your own name, buy your own URL, use a lot of tools on the market to create your own social media presence, to do your own marketing, to build your own brand for virtually no dollars. Um, the trick of that is, you know, are you going to have to spend the money multiple times as the brand matures? How many mistakes are you going to make if you haven't been there and done that? 
walk through the minefield, as they say, or follow someone through it who's been through it before successfully. Yeah, I would say just to add to what Ted was saying, you have to look at the market that you're in, right? In terms of wasabi, we're up against. So pause one second here. You keep talking about wasabi. First of all, we have to say we love wasabi. (laughs) Boston Harbor Angels is a supporter and an investor. And they became a unicorn last quarter. So, so this is this is big. All right. So, and to that point, we started building that in twenty. Well, you might be twenty sixteen. I was twenty seventeen. Right. So yeah, we we created the brand for for wasabi. I I was a CMO up until just recently, and uh, and Ted was my partner in crime in helping to establish establish that brand. But the mission there is yet, as you'll, you'll recall, way back when in late 2016, in, uh, in terms of large investors out there, they're all saying, this is insane to be taking on Amazon, Google, and Microsoft. You can't possibly win there. So the mission for us was to literally come up with not only in a, a disruptive technology, but a whole new market category and create a brand that could stand out against this this market that literally had been in existence for 12 years. Why would anybody even think about putting their money in anywhere different than the big three? And you're talking yeah. about cloud cloud storage for Wasabi. Yeah. Google, Microsoft, yeah. yeah cloud storage. And, and sorry, can I throw another thing at that, Ziad? Uh, because a lot of people want to move fast and build something. And obviously as an entrepreneur, you want to stay extremely scrappy and cost conscious and you don't want to spend your money twice and you want to spend your money wisely. Um, just as a hack, as uh, as you're building a brand, if it's a brand that has to tell a, a emerging story and have like wide guardrails, even things as ba- basic as a great name in the case of Wasabi with forward thinking that internationally translates and is catchy like Wasabi, but second pairs to the category that Mike created, hot cloud storage and the name. Um, but then as you build the brand, really simple components, the most simple message to repeat over and over again, That's simple moving parts, simple colors, simple fonts, simple message, because the less you have to think, the better as you're moving really fast and the less you have to spend when you're constantly trying to reinvent or revise or change a brand, you know, they say it takes uh, a lot of effort to write a short letter. I think that the same is true with a brand. So people should know you guys are world expert at this. We're lucky to have you on the show. When should the startup start thinking of branding in the way you guys think about branding? I literally think it starts on day one when you start to think of the name of the company. You know, uh, we'll we'll I we'll keep playing the wasabi example. It was originally a company called Blue Archive, and the the discussion I held with uh, the two founders of Wasabi at that time was around this. Uh, I asked Dave Friend, the CEO, you know, brilliant entrepreneur. Every single one of his bets has been a huge success. Um, but I asked him what it meant. What what was Blue Archive all about? And he said, well, blue is my favorite color and archiving is what we do. <laughs> and, and I said, okay, well, that makes sense. Then I asked Jeff, do you think archiving is what we do? And he said, no, we do a much faster version of storing data. It's called active data. I said, okay, active data is also known as hot data. 
And he said, right. I said, hot data could become a new, whole new category. And from then, we just started to rotate around where could we go with this. And eventually, that idea of hot and, and wasabi came about. But if we had launched as Blue Archive, and I think one of the things we missed at the very beginning of this discussion was branding is all about, especially for early stage, you think about you know your exit strategies and how to optimize valuation potential. If we had gone out as Blue Archive, we would have been discarded as an archive company. There's a ton of archive companies. But cloud storage is a massive, massive market that doubles every every, every two years. That valuation potential is whole, uh, altogether different. That's why on day one, literally in the formation of the name of the company, you need to think five years out in the potential of the market you're playing in. And I would also say that the interesting thing, when it comes to like tech and the analyst community and the Gartner groups of the world and whatnot, they love to create categories because it makes the money and, and it's often a defining technology. So cloud storage already was a thing. But Mike basically uh, uh, borrowed equity from storage, uh, cloud storage in particular, by adding the descriptor hot cloud storage, he had created a new wedge in the pie of what was a generic um, category that was filled with egress fees and tiers of pricing and everything else and allowed the company to have that truly singular message, which one price for Wasabi with none of the BS that comes with the rest of the category, it's far less, it, it's, it's well, at the time, one-fifth the cost, eight times faster, and incredibly protected and safe. Those are great messages to launch with. But does this apply to every startup? Because it seems that some startups got to get it right, and they, they develop their message, and some struggle to... What comes first, the brand or know who you are and what you're targeting and your ultimate goal? I'll tell you, from, from my perspective, my experience has been, again, I've worked at a lot of different tech startups and, and up through IPOs as well. And uh, one of the biggest mistakes they make typically is it, it comes with positioning and simple messaging. And by the way, simple messaging is very difficult to do. But because they're very, there's a lot of pride in developing disruptive technologies or innovation technology. And, and from a marketing perspective, those companies focus their message on how, uh, how they built or what their technology does. And the shift as a, as a brand market, if you will, or even not putting aside the word brand, is why it matters. What does your product do for the customer? That allows you to talk at several levels inside the stack, if you will, you know, C-level all the way down to the developer who wants to know how it was built. That's that's critical in shaping the evolution of your brand. You have to have different tiers of messages for different audiences in your brand. Yeah, often we say speak with one voice, but in multiple dialects. You want one right. brand voice, but it can speak to a lot of different audiences. And I just want to bring up one other thing that I think it's important, Ziad, with your question, is that marketing, branding, has always existed to sell more product, service, or technology to a customer, right? We're selling something to someone else who wants to buy it. But the other thing you have to think about, the other lens, if an exit is in mind, even if it's an exit in the mind at the very beginning of staging your company, is a buyer, whether it's strategic or financial, looks at the entire business and every touch point 
as an asset that they want to buy. So you have to think about the brand in its totality if you're thinking about it as an exit. And I would argue that, especially in tech, um, you're always thinking about what a future exit might look like and what, how you want to position the business in that front, whether or not you exit or not is, is moot. But you have to toggle between the future and the present day as you build a business at all times. Because you're raising money, you're growing your business. So is it easier to brand, I don't know, a food product as opposed to a complicated technology system or a pair of shoes, or it doesn't matter. You can make anything look sexy. So, I mean, I, I get the uh, the privilege of touching 10 to 15 brands, maybe 10 to 20 a year for the last 30 years of all shapes and sizes. I would say that as a huge generalization, there's obviously things that are a little bit easier to wrap your head around you know, eating a hot dog and selling hot dogs is pretty, pretty clear versus maybe hot cloud storage or another complicated technology way beyond that in terms of complexity, AI. So I think it is sometimes harder, especially when um, really smart technologists and engineers have built a brand. I think it is a little bit harder to make sure that the message is simple and human. And that's a really important distinction because in tech, people love to throw jargon around. They love to like, who's smarter than who and how complicated can we make this? But it's not always a technical buyer that is the big decision maker writing a check. It's almost always true with any brand. In fact, I'll say it's always true. The simpler and the more human the message, the easier it is going to be to sell it through and buy it. People make a conscious decision, an emotional decision, then they go down into the weeds and they want the super technical stuff as they analyze and go through their sales process. I don't know if you have anything yeah. to add to that. What, what would you say to a founder? If you were to give one a piece of advice on what to do and one piece of advice on what not to do, what would you say? Um, in, in the tech world, not sure if this if this carries over to other industries, but in the tech world, the first marketing that you hire that you make is traditionally either product management or product marketing. That that's that's critical in terms of developing the 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 technology into a, a sellable solution. But in order to tell the story of that solution, to raise that story, you need someone that has a bit of a branding background that simplifies that message to make it easier to understand. I had a brilliant product marketing guy over, over at Wasabi who could sell it to anyone in terms of where it fits and what it does, but try to get the attention of someone. He couldn't do that, right? We, the, 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 my job was to get the attention of people to give him the opportunity to sell and pitch why we're better. It's the, it's the combination. And back to T Ted's comment a little bit earlier, there's a real opportunity, especially in the tech sector, to differentiate uh, because most tech people or technology marketers market around the technology. If you if your opportunity to kind of disrupt your new category as it evolves is to to talk at a much higher level to a brand. So what mistakes what mistakes have you seen in the past? Well, so, you know, it's, 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 I'm going to really date myself here because I've been around <laughs> doing this for a long time. But 
I'll take it way back to the uh, the early '90s, and uh, and two great brands. One you'll recognize globally. The other one you'll recognize because we're here in Boston. And the, and the the category was the first time we were building out the internet with networking. The two companies, the one you'll recognize globally, and the one that obviously won is Cisco Systems. Right. The other one was a company called Wellfleet Local. Right. Paul Severino, literally the inventor, you know, uh, of of the world's greatest technology in routing. And meanwhile, the guys that created Cisco out of Stanford had the same idea at the same time. They're always rooted in whatever the latest advancement in silicon is. But the category was called a multi-protocol router. So Paul, you know, being the technologist, he goes out and he creates this router that had endless amounts of protocols. Meanwhile, Cisco gets basically meets the minimum viable requirement, right? And he gets out and says, "Well, oh, we've got uh, we've got three protocols, therefore it's a multi-protocol router." And he spends all his time saying it's a it's a rush to market, and he spends all his time talking about this huge market and brands around the world's leading multi-protocol router. And everybody on the technology said side said, "Yeah, but that that Wealthly thing's got a, a lot more protocols." Meanwhile, they're getting getting out marketed by Cisco and Cisco takes away market share very quickly. And as important, they really owned the mind share of the new multi-protocol market. And from there, the rest was history. Many stories like this in, in, in business that we've, we all know, VHS, Betamax, other stories. So, so Ted, what's, what, what would you tell a founder about branding if you want to give them one piece of advice? I would say, first of all, um, that for me, anyways, the, the business and brand are synonymous, meaning it's the brand is how your your everything about what you're doing is interpreted, looked at, and communicated. And it is a precious, precious thing. So when you're starting, I guess I'll use the analogy of a raw, uncut diamond. And if you've got something that looks pretty ugly, but you know underneath as you shape it and, and mature it, it's going to be super high value that you should not underestimate the value of it. I get the privilege of talking to a lot of really smart financial people. And I'll just give you one analogy here because um, I always get a beat up about, you know, brand and marketing. And one of the subjects we are on is, is the, you know, the value of a business and the perception of the value of the business. And the argument was that a business is only worth as much as its financials say it's worth, the foundational you know, dollars and cents. And I said, all right, well, what you told me earlier in the conversation was that how you present the numbers on a spreadsheet can increase or decrease the value of a business. And I said, just so I'm clear, you're not fudging the numbers because you go to jail for that, right? And they're like, yeah, no, no, we're not fudging the numbers. <laughs> but you can present the numbers and optically present them so that the interpretation on the other side could swing value up or down. I said, well, if that's true, why can't that be true with every touchpoint communication channel conversation that the rest of the business is having? Won't that influence the value up or down? I'm like, all right, I guess I see your point. So for me, I always think about building brands in the short term. And as a founder, if you're just starting being incredibly agile, scrappy, use everything you possibly can at your disposal that's low or no cost, and try to build the brand methodically into what you envision five years out. You really have to go back and forth between future and present day. 
And if you have that mindset, that kind of bimodal mindset, it's going to serve you well. And if people remind, remember you, because you're, the brand is not just for your customers, right? Is the brand for your investors, for your Everyone. your team, your your friends? Is it is it for everybody? My answer is yes, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And and you back to Mike's conversation about how you message according to different altitudes. It's one brand with one message and hopefully one very clear message. But there are different dialects for the investors and the shareholders. And the founders and the you know people running the company internally, your customer stratification up and down because maybe you're selling tech like Mike's done, where you have five people influencing a buy, and all five of them look at it from a different lens. So you got to have that really clear message and then break it down into its its right altitudes. Is is the workplace also a part of the brand? If you're a great place to work at, is is that part of the brand? Yeah, without question. Uh, you know, a great brand attracts more talent. It, it attracts better talent. People want to go to a winning brand. And again, uh, you know, we, we see that here in Boston with Wasabi, the incredible presence that the company now has, not only here in, in the city of Boston uh, because of a number of different efforts, but now globally as well. Uh, the, the company's hiring fast. It has no problem. I could tell you coming from there. It's not getting people to come to Wasabi is not an issue whatsoever. There's a lot of pride inside it. And and there's wearing, as you know, Ziad, wearing Wasabi swag is a big deal. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, people know it. And, and, and the funniest thing about it, I'll, I'll just take you back to, you know, I'd want, I still to this day, I'll wear a Wasabi shirt around town. And, and people walk by and they say, you know, they'll, they'll do the old Budweiser, you know, wasabi kind of thing. They just have fun with it, right? And it's building on its own, whether you're a part of the company or not. But people take joy in a good brand. You, met, you mentioned mistakes. I think a lot of bigger companies make the mistake of not focusing on internal branding. Absolutely. The Every single employee, no matter how big, should know what the business is, what it stands for. Because these days on social media, I'll just like say like you see a, a UPS driver or some flight attendant doing an act of kindness or or something that you would not expect having a big effect. Every single cog in the wheel of a business is important. And sometimes small things from the doers out in the business become really big deals of what the brand represents. And that can be both good and bad. But I think most companies completely underserve and underspend on their own internal culture and how to saturate the brand and indoctrinate the people into their brand. But do you, does the brand come from the top? Like the leadership has to live and breathe and buy into the brand, correct? I think if you're going to be an exceptional company, yes. I think these days it's a little bit tougher when maybe a CEO's swapping out and, you know, again, with all the M&A activity, sometimes people's motivations are driving, you know, towards different outcomes. I think the best companies in the world, it absolutely stops it. Um, it it's across the entire company. And it starts from the top. The uh, I remember, uh, I'll never forget the day that I actually interviewed with Dave Friend. Founder of Wasabi. Yeah. Founder of Wasabi to, to go to, you know, what was then Blue Archive. And and I said, you know, Dave, I've done a lot of tech companies over the years, and it's rare to find uh, a CEO of a tech company that actually understands the true value of building a brand and marketing. So I said, just one simple question. 
what's your philosophy on on the fit of those two things into your companies? And he gave me an answer that I'd never heard from any single one of them before. And I've had some great successes, but this is how I knew Wasabi was going to be a different opportunity. And it was Dave said, I believe great companies are 50% about the product and 50% about the brand. And that changed that right, right there. He had me because it was the first time I've heard in tech, somebody said, hey, look, I know I've got a killer product, but now I know I, I, I got to build a, a killer brand. And he was giving me that platform to do it. I'm doing it again with my latest gig at Aviatrix. And I would also say that Dave is, and Jeff and the whole Wasabi crew is fearless because when I got brought into the fold, they said, yeah, we want you to build a brand and take on Amazon. Right. And I'm like a pre-revenue startup. I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and now Wasabi is everywhere at Fenway in Boston. It's one of the top, top startups. I don't know if it's not, it's not a startup anymore when you have over 300 employees. But um, so so talk about yourselves a little bit. Uh, all right. So uh, I'm Mike Welts. I'm the current CMO of a company called Aviatrix. Uh, again, one of the fastest growing tech companies in, in the U.S. Uh, I've been in the cloud now for about six years, starting with, uh, with, with, with Wasabi on the storage side. And what we're doing at Aviatrix is we're actually connecting all the different types of clouds to make them look like one. Massive opportunity we will become ultimately the, the Cisco for the cloud era. I was around at the very beginning 30 years ago when Cisco was a startup. My startup was a company called Cabletron. We built the networking side. Uh, we tied those routers together. Over the past, now hard to say, hard to believe, 30 years, <laughs> I've built nine other tech startups. Been very successful to work with some incredibly, incredibly talented people. Had some great successes. Had a couple failures. Uh, but, you know... I surround myself with incredibly talented people like yourselves to figure this out. Uh, and, uh, you know, Ted, I found Ted through, through well, I guess it was Blue Archive at the time. And uh, he walked me through some of the brands that he had helped develop and saw the opportunity where we had really, you know, to take advantage of Dave's philosophy on branding. Ted would help me to be disruptive on the marketing side, not just on the technology side. And we've been in partnership ever since. Well, it's nice being next to my esteemed colleague here, Mike Meltzer, and thank you, Ziad, for giving us this opportunity. I'm Ted Schluter. I'm the CEO of a marketing company here in Boston called The Grist, um, but also uh, the founder of a methodology called Branding for Buyout, which we believe is reinventing the sell-side process and unlocking a ton of value for founder-owner operators and their businesses, um, adding a... a a new marketing approach to the exit process and having a lot of this success at it because of my friend over here, Mike's support and guidance. Um, unlike Mike, I am, uh, you know, our company works on, I'll just say approximately 10 to 20 brands a year from early stage, you know, startups to multi-billion dollar businesses. And, you know, we're out for one thing to create value. And uh, on the marketing side, the general company side, the Grist, you know, it's it's project work and integrated work of all kinds to launch products, build brands. Um, you weren't indicating I'm not trying to create value. This guy creates more value than anyone I know. Uh, we don't want to fight between the marketer and the brander. Okay? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I just I would just say that, um, uh, you know, uh, 
one of the benefits I have is getting to work with so many different brands each year, year in and year out, that you get to see a lot of different use cases on how to build and, and you know, kind of act like an entrepreneur with the entrepreneur as you build their brand. And I think that is one heartfelt sentiment I have with whatever I touch is always act like an entrepreneur. Right. And you have a book yeah. out. Yes. Branding for buyout, which has a chapter with uh, Mike and Wasabi in it. And we are co-authoring another book that's coming on the horizon sometime soon. Uh, chapter okay. two. It's the most important yeah. chapter of the book. <laughs> yeah. exactly. <laughs> it is. Excellent. Really excellent. Okay. Great to have you guys. And uh, you will be back. We already decided yes. that. Yes. So you will be Thank back. Thank you for the great opportunity. Thanks, Yad. Thanks for having us back, our backs over there. Yeah. Wasabi as well. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Never a Dull Moment. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And don't forget to rate and review us. Until next time, have a great day.